of the hardest things in life to do is to really begin to understand the love of God. We talk about it and we say we know that God loves us. And that's all right when things are going well, right? When, things, when life is going well, it's easy to believe in the love of God and hold on to the love of God. But when, when life gets hard, when we struggle physically, when we lose somebody who's close to us, maybe a child or a younger person, when things don't go our way, we begin to question God's love. We begin to ask, does he really love me? And, we, and one of the questions that most people ask in those dark times is, where is God and why hasn't he answered my prayers? It's a legitimate question to ask. It's a human question, right? Some people, because of unanswered prayer, because they said, God, if you would just heal this person, if you will just help me through this, Because their prayers were not answered, they turn away from God. In their mind, God has failed them. They think, if God really loved me, He would have done this for me. But He hasn't done this, therefore He doesn't love me. This weekend, we're going to look at the love of God. We're going to see that His love is far beyond our understanding. My premise is this, though, that if you want to begin to understand God's love for you and for me, If we want to understand God's love, we need to begin our search at the cross. Because the cross is the greatest display and and example of God's love for us. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verse 20. But I want to just read one verse from Romans. Paul said this, and this is really the premise of my message this weekend. God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. So if you would, turn to Mark chapter 15, verse 20. This is on page 777. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. You can take one out. Follow along with me. And I'm going to read about 19 verses. Stick with me. Uh, it's a it, it's an incredible passage. It is a, a dark passage. It can be a depressing passage, but it speaks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter fifteen verse twenty. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simeon, or Simon, excuse me, who was from Cyrene was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, that's interesting, just that, that historical reference, because what Mark is trying to show us, that, that there's a bunch of people reading this gospel who know who um, uh, Alexander and Rufus are. In other words, it's a, you know, it's his kids, you know. That's essentially what, what the, the point is. So it's a historical reference. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. By the way, there's one other time in Scripture where myrrh is brought to Jesus. Do you remember that? Jesus was brought as a baby gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's uh, not an accident. 
Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. Cast lots. That's essentially an English way of us understanding it. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The sign announced the, announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. People passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads and mocking. Ha! Look at you now! They yelled at him. You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. You might want to underline this next verse in your Bibles. Highlight it on your PDA. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who, was, who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. So the timetable of the day is this. Jesus is crucified probably around Friday at 9 a.m. About the sixth hour at noon, darkness fell over the land. That whole area was darkened. Not really sure why, but it did. Um, around the ninth hour, that would have been 3 p.m., the darkness lifted and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My point this weekend is this. His love is most powerfully demonstrated at the cross. As we look at the cross, we see his love. And I want to mention just three facets of his love that we see here at the cross. The first one is this, that he doesn't just say he loves us. He loves us actively. Remember the phrase that the religious leader said, that he saved others, but he can't save himself. Now, what they said of Jesus, of course, is true. Yeah, he could have saved himself. He could have called down legions of angels, right? There's no question he could have done it. But he didn't. Why didn't he? He had to choose whom he would serve or whom, whom he would save. See, he couldn't save both himself and us. Because there's a problem, a sin problem that had to be paid. So he had to choose whether he would pay the price for our sin, give his life, or take himself down from the cross. Which, by the way, was he was tempted to do that a number of times in his life. The first time was uh, when he was tempted after 40 days in, in uh, the desert, 
what did the, uh, the devil say? He says, you know, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Don't go to the cross. Then the, the devil got a little bit clever and he got one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, to say, uh, Jesus began to say how it says in the gospel, Jesus began to tell him how he must suffer and die. And Peter says, over my dead body you'll die. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So this has always been the temptation that Jesus would take himself down. Maybe this is one last shot of the devil, uh, you know, through the religious leaders. He can't even save himself. Of course he could have, but he chose not to. See, his life demonstrates his love. Now, you may have people around you that say, well, I love you. I care for you. You matter to me. But when you look around, when, they, when you're struggling and you look around, they're nowhere to be found. They're, they're not there. It's one thing to say you love somebody. It's quite another thing to show you love them. Jesus does both. He not only says, I love you, but he climbs up on a cross and he gives his life. He demonstrates his life, love by giving his life. I read a story recently about uh, uh, this uh, army sergeant. There were he was stationed in Afghan uh, in Afghanistan, and there was these Afghan children, and they were picking up these spent uh, ammunition shells uh, on the road. The the, car, the casings uh, belonged, you know, were, were were spent, and they would get, gather them up, and they could make things out of them, and they. We're able to make a little money off of it. Sergeant Dennis Wenchel, a U.S. soldier, he was stationed in Afghanistan. And so along with the other soldiers, he was in a convoy. And they had to get the kids out of the road to protect the kids. So they, they got all the kids out of the road because there's these heavy trucks coming down the road. And they wanted the kids to be safe. Wenchel had arrived in Afghanistan just a few weeks earlier. He had been part of the Rhode Island National Guard. The children were moved out of the way, but there was one Afghan girl that saw some shells under, uh, under this uh, mine-resistant ambush protection vehicle, or MRAP. And so she, she, she reached under, she went to go under the vehicle to get this, and was about ready to be crushed by this armored vehicle, and it weighed as much as 16 tons They're designed to protect troops as they carry out their missions uh, from roadside bombs. Well, Wenchel, the father of three, spotted the girl and quickly moved towards her to get her out of the way. He succeeded, but not before he was run over by the vehicle. The girl was safe, but Wenchel died later of his injuries. One of his colleagues, Lieutenant Dennis Reel, a spokesman for the Rhode Island National Guard said of Wenchel this, He was a living embodiment of the Army's core values, courageous, selfless, and loyal. All the values we expect from our soldiers, we mourn all combat deaths, but this one is significant. Jesus said to his disciples in the last 24 hours of his life here on earth, he said this. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life 
for one's friends. Jesus chose love, and He chose to love us enough to give His life for us. If you ever question and whether, wonder whether He loves you, just look to the cross because He says, I love you this much. I love you this much. It's not, it's not just words. It's actions. Secondly, He doesn't just love us partly. He loves us fully. Notice He says these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now Jesus, I believe, is quoting, He is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. And Psalm 22 is really a picture of somebody who's being crucified hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever used by the Romans. But Jesus believed he was fulfilling Psalm 22.1. His cry uh, was in the form of a question, not because, not because he didn't know the answer. And he wasn't saying, God, why have you done this? He knew why. He was experiencing the distress and he was fulfilling the, wor- fulfilling the words of Psalm 22. He was actually living them out. Now at this moment, there's an actual dreadful separation that took place between the Father and the Son. And it was due to our sins. See, when Jesus took our sins upon Himself, the Father is completely holy and He cannot look upon our sin. So when our sin came upon Jesus, there was a a, a separation. Jesus experienced real abandonment by the Father in heaven. He did this. Uh, and, and, and this is theologically where it gets a little murky, but he did this without destroying the unity of the Trinity. The point is, not only was there a physical death, but there was a spiritual death or separation. You know, it, it's interesting because God says to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will die. Well, guess what? They ate from the tree and they didn't die. What they, were, what they were saying is there's going to be a separation, a spiritual separation that's going to begin the day you eat of the tree. And we are born with that spiritual separation. So Jesus not only died physically, there was a spiritual death or separation between the Father and His Son. And Jesus experienced a, an abandonment for us. I love the way John Calvin puts it. He says this, If Christ had died only a bodily death, He would have been a great redeemer of bodies alone. He paid a greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul. The terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. That was his cry from the cross. See, the point is, he was forsaken so that you could be welcomed. Jesus could have abandoned us. He could have left us to our own demise. He could have left us alone to reap the fruit of our own wrongdoing. It was what we all deserved. But He did not. The point is this. If Jesus was willing to fully give Himself over to the sufferings and separation of the cross, then His love for us must never be in doubt. You can really never come to a place and say, well, how much does He love us? Because of God's love, He came after us in Christ. He pursued us even to the desolate anguish of the cross where He bore our sin, our guilt, and our judgment and death. If you ever wonder if Jesus, how much He loves you, all you have to do is look at the cross. 
Jesus basically said, I'm all in. I'm all in, right? Number three, he doesn't just love us today. He loves us forever, right? Uh, last words, we don't have these in our text in Mark, but in John, the last words that, words that Jesus uttered was in John 19.30, and it says, he said, it is finished. It is finished. So what was he talking about there? Jesus, notice, he do, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm finished. It's all over for me. I'm done. With these words, it is finished, he says two things. First, we're told in Mark, it's very interesting, and I told you I, this would be a portion that I would highlight on your phone or in your, your Bible. It says that the curtain, the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Very interesting verse there. So the temple was the place for, all, for, for centuries, and, and it actually began way back at the tabernacle. The tabernacle was just a tent, and, and the tabernacle was in the center of the, uh, uh, the Hebrew, the Israel uh, camp, and all the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, would camp around, and the tabernacle was in the middle of it. And the tabernacle had certain areas, and there was one area called the Holy of Holies, and there was a, a, there was a cover, there was a, uh, there was a, a curtain that divided the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And there was only one person that went into the Holy of Holies. And he only went in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he only went in with blood to offer the atonement, the payment for, our, for the sins of the people of Israel. And he went in once a year to do that. And he was only allowed to go in there. And so this was always done on the Day of Atonement. Now, when they got the temple, it was the same thing. Except it wasn't made out of curtains and, and canvas and different. It was now not. It was made out of stone. And so the temple, there were, it had the holy place and it had the holy of holies. And, but there was, still a, there was still a curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And it said that this curtain, when Jesus said it is finished, was torn from heaven to earth. Symbolically, it made an incredibly important statement. Because the holy of holies represented God's presence. The, the tabernacle in the Old Testament represented God's presence in the center of the camp. And, and the holy place was the, the place where nobody could see God face to face. Nobody could, could look upon God. They would die if they looked upon God. And so the, 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 the holy of holies was a protected place. It really protected the people from God because of His holiness and they were sinful. But now we come to the temple and this, this curtain is torn from top to bottom after Jesus says it is finished. It's an amazing thing. What is going on here now is the presence of God is now open. This is the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. Uh, this is Hebrews 9. When these things were all in place, this is talking about the temple, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. This is Hebrews 9, uh, verses 6 through 8. You can write that down and look at it a little later. And only once a year. And he, he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people who had committed ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, there was an out of, it was off limits to everyone. So what does God do? What does heaven do? Heaven tears the barrier from heaven to earth 
between God and us. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross provided the means for us to have our sins forgiven, to enjoy peace with God and to enter in His presence. This means now we can enter in, and Hebrews says this, the writer of Hebrews says, you can now enter boldly into the, into the presence of God and, and into His grace. Well, this is unheard of. See, so Jesus is saying it is finished, it's paid, and so now there's no barrier between God and men. The price has been paid. Secondly, these words, it is finished. It's in the perfect tense in the Greek. And a perfect tense just means it's been completed with the fact that it's always going to remain completed. In other words, it's not going to be it's finished, but only for a little while. But then I'm going to have to finish it again and finish it again and finish it again. No, 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 no. What this, the perfect tense means that his work is done forever. What he did will never be, need to be done again. This is a once for all. All the sacrifices that pointed to Jesus. You know, when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All the sacrifices that took place. Jesus was the final, the perfect final sacrifice. When He gave His life on the cross. When He said it is finished, it is finished with, with the fact that it is completely, fully, freely finished in, in perfect love. He accomplished all that He came in the world to do. He took the place of judgment for us. He provide, procured salvation to all who trust in Him. He established a new covenant between God and us. That's what Jesus talks about at the new table. He says, I'm going to establish a new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is a new way of relating to God. It's a new contract. See, His love begins here and now and it goes with us into eternity. Jesus was willing and able to love us into eternity. No one can separate us from the love from His love. His love for us will never change. It'll never fade away. It'll never grow old. There'll never be a day. There'll never be a day where when you when when Jesus will not love you. Now think about that. There'll never be a day when you're not loved by Him. That's what He's saying here. That His love is eternal. His love is eternal. So as we, as we said, if you're going to begin and you say, do, how do I know God loves me? You have to begin with the cross. Because the cross demonstrates that He doesn't just say it, He does it. It demonstrates He's all in. He gave His life. And it demonstrates that, it, that His love is for you is never going to change. No matter what you do. By the way, when He loved you the first time, we were still sinners. Christ died for us while we were yet Sinners. So it wasn't like we could, oh, look at that resume. You really got your act. No, 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 no. That's not the way it was. We were broken. We were lost. We were helpless. So let me finish where I started. What do you do when you go through those difficult times? When you lose people that you love and you say, what do I do now? How do I handle this? How do I go through this? How do I understand this? Does God still love me? Does God even care? You know, what do you, what do you do in those times? Well, let me give you probably the only illustration that can maybe begin to help you. It, maybe it won't help you. It helps me. So my oldest boy, Kyle, he was probably three or four months old, I think. And, uh, you know, babies, you have to go and they have to get their shots. 
And I remember, I remember that day. He's 30 years old, okay? That was a long time ago. And I remember, I remember uh, we went to the V&A to get his shots. And I had Kyle on my lap. And the nurse was about ready to give him a shot in his really fat little thigh. And he just was a little porker. But he was in an exceptionally good mood that day. And he was smiling. He was looking at me. And he was just, just really good mood. And the nurse said to me, you need to hold him. You know, hold him tight. You know, not real tight, but hold him so he doesn't move his leg. And Kyle was looking at me, and it was like all of a sudden, you know, she put the needle into his, his thigh. And he looked at me, and he goes, hold on. What just happened? And then he was an absolute mess. And he, I remember him looking at me like, how could you let this happen to me? So I said to him, I said, hey, Kyle, I'm really sorry. You need your shots. They're going to be important. And by the way, there's more coming. Don't worry about that today. But you need your shots because without your shots, you could catch all sorts of terrible childhood diseases and stuff. So we have to do it. I'm sorry it hurts and I'm sorry you're going through a difficult time. But this is why we have to do it. And Kyle said, okay. No, he didn't say okay. He didn't understand that he couldn't explain. I couldn't have explained it to him if I wanted to. May I suggest that it's possible that God can't explain to us because we're Kyle and we would never understand it. We wouldn't like it, even if we did understand it. But what, what he does to us is the same thing that I think I did to Kyle that day. I just wrapped him up and held him close and let him cry it out. Can't, I don't have a better answer. Like I said, maybe that'll help. But when you're going through those dark times, you feel like, God, what are you doing? How could you let this happen? Just remember, he's got that, those, his loving arms right around you. And he knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to, to go through pain and rejection. All those other things. He loves you. He loves you. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, you are our Father. And thank you for the picture of a Father. And some of us don't have good fathers in that. But we know what a good one looks like in our minds. Thank you that when we go through those times where we just don't understand and we, there's no way of explaining, it's beyond our comprehension, that we can still trust you, that we can know without a doubt that you still have us in your loving arms. And may we draw unto you, Father, because as we draw unto you, you will draw unto us. May we find our comfort and encouragement and help in you. And thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the cross, the most powerful and amazing demonstration of your love that we could ever see or know or understand. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.